1: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify.
2: James Bond is coming back to the big screen in cinemas in the UK and we're hoping to go to every one of the 25 films. Join us as we celebrate the 60th anniversary of our favourite British agents by watching them all in order. We hope you guys are watching them too so please let us know your thoughts. You can find us on social media at Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and our podcast is available on iTunes and Spotify as well as video episodes on YouTube. Simply search for Really007Pod Daniel Craig returned for his difficult second album, in Quantum of Solace.
3: I was always very interested to meet you. I heard so much about you from Vespa. If she hadn't killed herself, we would have had you too.
4: Are you gonna tell us who you work for?
3: The first thing you should know about us is that we have people everywhere.
5: I thought I could trust you. You said you weren't motivated by revenge.
3: I'm motivated by my duty.
5: I think you're so blinded by inconsolable rage that you don't care who you hurt. When you can't tell your friends from your enemies, it's time to go. You don't have to worry about me. Strict bonds movements. Put a stop on his passport. Find Bond.
3: How long have I got? Thirty seconds. That doesn't give us a lot of time.
2: telling that I am at the Berry view in The Rock by myself for Quantum of Solace because it's possibly the least popular Bond film maybe some might say Spectre or No Time to Die but I think they've got maybe more fans Uh, they've got more haters perhaps too but Quantum was certainly my least favorite Bond film until I saw it again a couple of years ago and I thought goodness me this is way better than i gave it credit for i think part of the problem was that after casino real which i wasn't really keen on the direction it took when i saw that again sorry when i saw that for the first time at the cinema i was just like i didn't really go into it with the right attitude and i was like oh no it's more of the same isn't it i didn't like the fact that it was set directly after the end of casino real because that was a bit too a bit too different for me you know i'm a traditionalist and when I watched it, I didn't really understand the plot. I couldn't really make head and a tail of what was going on. The characters didn't seem particularly interesting. I didn't like the main villain. I couldn't believe again. There's no sort of proper Bond girl because he's still moping about um, Vesper. So that was that was a big that was a big put off. It was very short, but it didn't really feel that short at the time. And I just I just thought I can't believe this. I watched this on my own because, I don't know whether Math and Harry were at uni, but they, I don't know whether they even wanted to watch it. And, yeah, I, and then I didn't watch it until it was released on DVD. It had exactly the same problems again. And I thought, right, uh, what a depressing film. And I've probably been slagging it off for quite a few years ever since then, until I watched it just before lockdown, perhaps. And I sat there and I thought, hey, I've not seen this in goodness me possibly 10 years it's like a bonus bond for me let's go into it with the right attitude and try and enjoy it and see see the merits in it and you know what i loved it and <laughs> i felt so embarrassed almost to tell people like dare i admit that i like quantum of solace dare i admit that I, I think this is actually a pretty cozy crisp film and one of the main reasons for that is the locations and the way it all plods along there's it's so much frenetic action which clearly is influenced by Bourne. I don't know if they've got the same fight coordinators for that. But it just, I love the sort of hue of it. I love the cinematography, much like Casino Real. It just looks rich. And I love Mathis. Okay, the way he goes out and the way Bond treats him is still awful in my eyes. Maybe not as, don't see it as badly as Rob, but still pretty, pretty poor. And then I thought, hang on, you know, it does make a bit more sense. I'm not, Fully, in, you know, he has a um, strawberry feel, so there is a bit more of an interaction with the Bond girl. It's There's a little bit more human than I remembered, and then, you know, there's an end fight with the baddie, and I think that's the, the first and only time we've had that in a Daniel Craig film, until he has one with Safin in, the, in that paddling pool. So I'm like, yeah, this is, and it's a bad, and I love the opera scene. So I'm going into this really buoyed, really looking forward to it. I enjoyed Casino Rail last week. It'd be great to try and see all the Daniel Craigs in a row, on the big screen, and hope that they sort of come through as more of a story, because I know they didn't intend them to go exactly the way they did, but no film series does, and they're reacting to the time, and I just want to enjoy this sit-back. I'm a lone voice, I think, in the uh, the Really 007 crew for liking this film, although Rob has interestingly warmed to it a bit, so I'm I'll, I'll very, very interested to hear everyone's thoughts on this, but... I'm going in now. Wish me luck. Hey, Sam here. I've just finished work. I'm about to go to the cinema to
6: watch Quantum of Solace. I'm going to try and hold off my (laughs) negative thoughts about this film until I've seen it again. I did watch it a few months ago in the run-up to No Time to Die, and I really did not have a great experience. The only time i had a good experience it was the first time that i started at the cinema which was in 2008 i saw it with my cousin luca and we watched the film i think we thought it was good but i mean i was 13 he was 11 i think we enjoyed the action but the actual story and that just the vibe of the film just didn't gel with me and just over the years it's it's gone down quite significantly i think back in the day when there was 22 films i said it was 20th and then that quickly went down and now it's actually at the bottom of my list so I know that there are quantum defenders out there and do you know what I wish I wish I was because you know I would love to enjoy this film more than I do but unfortunately I don't and every time I see it now it it just seems to be worse for me and you know I'm hoping that the cinema experience again will allow me to enjoy it more and there's certain elements that I, I do enjoy but you know controversially I enjoy the the title song and I like the titles even though they aren't done by Daniel Kleiman. you know I, I like the difference there I enjoy the car chase to an extent but it's not the best chase for me so really I, I love the first you know five you know or so minutes <laughs> and then for me the rest of it's just kind of a, a bit of a slog I used to think this was the longest Bond film and it's actually, it's really not, but I used to think it dragged on for so much, so yeah, I'm really not the most positive about this one, but I'm going to watch it, I'm going to see how it does, see if any elements stick out, I think some of the acting's good, I think some of the cast are okay, some of the others I'm I'm not too fond of, some of the choices, uh, storyline choices, I know people are going to bring up the writer's strike, and I understand that, but at the end of the day, if they were so worried about the plots and how it was going to work then really they should have just pushed it back a little bit to allow just for more time but it does feel like a bit of a rushed thing and i think it makes it a bit messy i say a bit messy i think it's a lot messy i'm not a massive fan of mark forster and his direction the editing especially i'm not a fan of and yes some of the production choices i'm not a fan of either so i mean i think david arnold scores okay it's not a Particularly mem- a particular memorable one for me, um, but I think it it's good for what it is. For um, for his last one thus far, you never know he could, he could come back. Yeah, and yeah, you know, a lot of people have said that Daniel Craig looks great, and I think he does look good in this film. Um, probably not my favourite look of his, but he definitely looks fitting, and he looks good. I think as a as a film as a sequel, I think it's good. You know, as a sequel to Casino Royale, it's good, but. As just a James Bond film, I think it's a very difficult watch, especially if you've not seen Casino Royale in a while or if you're just watching Quantum of Solace for just a random reason. I think it's very difficult if you've not just watched just watched Casino Royale. So for those who didn't watch it at the cinema last week, I think it may be a bit more difficult, but who knows? But yeah, so I'm going to head off now. Hopefully, I'll have some good vibes and some good thoughts to share later. But yeah, I do hope everyone enjoys. Are you Are going to tell us who you work for?
3: I was always very interested to meet you. I'd heard so much about you from Vesper. The real shame is that if she hadn't killed herself, we would have had you too. I think you would have done anything for her.
5: Well, you know you're not in Britain, and God knows where you'll be tomorrow. Which should tell you that eventually you will tell us about the people you work with. And the longer it takes, the more painful
3: we'll make it. <laughs> You really don't know anything about us. (laughs) It's so amusing because we are on the other side thinking, oh, the MI6, the CIA, they're looking over our shoulders, they're listening to our conversations, and the truth is you don't even know we exist.
5: Well, we do now, Mr. White.
3: And we're quick learners. (laughs) Oh, really? Well, then... The first thing you should know about us is that we have people everywhere. Am I right?
7: Hello everybody, this is Dom here giving my thoughts on Quantum of Solace. For me, this is a Bond film that I would really like to enjoy, however, it falls down in a few key areas and therefore is almost at the bottom of the Jane's Bond rankings, if not rock bottom. Right, the things I like about this film are Camille the Bond girl. I know Bond doesn't sleep with her in this, but it works because they're both on separate missions to get revenge and end up working together to complete the missions. Where I feel that falls down for me is the action scenes. They are far too quick, you can't see what's going on. It's a bit like what they've done with the Jason Bourne films but much worse and I prefer to watch Jason Bourne films over this one. The beginning starts with a few moments after Casino Royale ends with Bond in the tunnel driving the Aston trying to escape the people that Mr White worked for, but they fail to get him back and Bond kills them and makes it to Siena. I really hate the pre-title song Another Way to Die, it's just a terrible Bond song, Jack White and Keys have not done it justice, it's even behind Madonna's Dying of the Day in my opinion. The pre-titles though by MK12 are quite colourful with bold lettering and it's probably the highlight of the opening credits to be honest. It makes a difference to what we've seen in the past and it really futurises it. I've still, I still think it holds it well even today. The title cards, wherever they are on location, is stupid, they're done in a stupid font and they shouldn't take up the whole screen. I really hate the villain even though we share the same name unfortunately, but he's just terrible. His scheme, while being realistic with the water in Bolivia, is just not done that well. He's just a bad businessman who doesn't have any unique features. Maybe if General Madrano was the main villain instead, then it will give it more solidity. The film just goes at a ridiculously stupid pace and it's hard to keep up with it. By the end, I'm still not sure what has happened even though Bond has got his revenge for the death of Vesper. It seems that every time somebody dies in this film, Bond is blamed and not in a nice way but he must carry on to achieve his targets. Medrano is not such a good character, I don't even know if he's the actual villain or a henchman but he's not really that rememberable, to be honest, in my opinion. The scene in the hotel room with the bar lady is just terrible, it's a bit too dark for a Bond film, and that's coming from somebody that's seen Milton Milton Crest's head explode. Elvis the henchman is just awful as well, he has a stupid haircut, the chief of police is also a weak character, and it's hard to tell where Mathis gets killed by who is the culprit of that. It's the first appearance of the series of Tanner. I'm not such a huge fan of this Tanner, Rory Kinnear, He's more of a stage actor than an actual film actor, but he does get more credit as he does more films. He's probably overused in this film, a bit like In the World is Not Enough, just not as well done. I don't know why she has to go out to Bolivia to intercept Bond, just stay in MI6's stupid woman, send out some MI6 people like License to Kill where Bond's tied to that stone table thing. I do enjoy M's performance in this when she's always on the screen, but she just tries to play the investigator a bit more. And it's a bit more a bit more involved as well with warming to the new Bond, Daniel Craig. In a way, it's a bit like license to kill because Bond kills the member of Special Branch and tries to intercept Green. Well he does, but his card's blocked by MI6 basically, so he has to use his own means to get there. The Haiti Boat Chase is poorly directed, like all the action scenes in scenes in this film, you can't tell what's going on. The fight with the man in the hotel room. The Brigham's opera scene is a nice, enjoyable scene. We even get the dad from Friday Night Dinner, Paul Ritter, God rest his soul. Also, the stuntman from Top Gear, who is Guy Haynes' bodyguard, and also one of Renard's henchmen, The World's Not Enough. He recovered quickly from the submarine going down. But I just want that scene to be better, as you just can't tell what happens. It's all in silence. The camera scenes are too quick. I mean, the video game of this, Quantum of Solace, you play the opera mission, it's not quite the same format, but it would be nice if we got some more backstory of it to be honest. I like that they bring Mathis back in Quantum Solace and at first he's very pissed off about what's happened after the previous film as they found him innocent. His mistress basically says that he owes them one so he should cooperate with Bond. I like the scene in the airplane where they're flying over to Bolivia when everyone's asleep and Bond's just there musing about Vespa, and he's got a necklace drinking of Vesper as well and Mathis comes to see if he's okay. I think this is a good character bonding scene and... It shows that Bond's still hurting, and it builds a good relationship with the two characters. Then we get to Bolivia. Strawberry Field is not very memorable as she is very old, old-fashioned. However, Bond manages to turn her around as she is very authoritative, and a bit where they try to pretend that their own teachers are on sabbatical and have won the lottery is quite funny, I suspect. That will get a few laughs in the cinema if you're watching it there. It suggests that Bond has convinced her to sleep with him, basically, but we don't see it. We just see the aftermath, basically. but. It's a bit like everything else in the film. You can't really see it. The stuff in Bolivia is quite slow. The party, to be honest, not a great scene. But I do like the scene with Bond and Camille in the bottom of the sinkhole, getting to know each other and why they are where they are. I think that's a good scene, like the airplane one. The plane action scene—it's not very good, to be honest. Hard to understand what's going on. Once again, I don't know why they decide to make it all like this. Felix in this film, we think he's a bad guy because he's not seen with Bond through most of it and he's with the bad guy Dave Harbour and yeah, just with Green and the aeroplane going over to Austria, it's not clear what sort of direction he's taken. We do see them reunite at the bar in Bolivia around the corner from the hotel so obviously he gives him information about where he needs to go to the hotel so we know he's not bad in the end but it's actually his boss that's bad. I do enjoy the eco hotel scene with Camille having only one bullet in her gun because Bond tells her that's all. She needs to make it count. The fight with Green is not very good however, I don't like him screaming out all the time with the axe. We can tell he's not a violent person and just I don't know why they have to have a fight. We could have had a fight with somebody else a bit more hands on. I do like all the explosions in this eco hotel scene, It's the pace is a lot slower and generally it's probably the best action sequence of the film. Once Bond drops Camille off at the station, they do share a kiss however nothing more as they go their separate ways, which I think is fair enough because, to be honest, they're not ever romantically involved, are they? I feel the kiss was just added there because Bond needs to kiss a girl, obviously. Finally, we get to Russia. Bond's infiltrating Vesper's former lover, the Algerian. He's got another one on the go, but luckily he manages to get her away without her going down the same line as Vesper. So, he intercepts the Algerian, doesn't kill him, so M's happy at the end, and that's how it should have been with the whole Vesper thing through the Craig series. Drops the love knot into the snow and walks away. Fantastic, thank you very much. On to the next one now. So, Quantum for me, it's a bit like Casino. You've got to be switched on once again to watch it. It's not an octopus, the or Tomorrow never dies. I know they have problems in production and Craig wrote some of the scripts because MGM had financial issues. I don't think Craig should have got involved in as much as he has done, to be honest. It's kind of taken on a sour turn. I know, I don't know much about the director, to be honest. I don't know what he's done before, I don't know if he directs in this always in this same style. It feels like they try to make it like a Bourne film with all its fast action that you can't really see. Craig is more comfortable in this role as it's only a couple of years after Casino Royale and he's still grieving, but it's probably not his best performance so far. I believe that the next one, Skyfall, is the best of the Craig era because it doesn't use any of the previous two films and just takes its own turn. The soundtrack isn't great in my opinion, to be honest. Arnold. It's a damn shame that it's his last score, and I don't really like the Newman scores to be honest. I'm still unsure about Zimmer's score to be honest. I do own it on vinyl, but I'm still not sure to be honest again. That's my thoughts about Quantum of Solace to be honest. I've probably gone on far too long once again, but I'm really enjoying giving my thoughts to the Really007 podcast. I believe I'll be going to see Skyfall at the cinema in a couple of weeks time, so I'm quite excited for that film as it's been 10 years since that was released. I'm done now, but if you want to follow me on Twitter, my name is at MyNameIsInnick. Enjoy the film, everybody. Oh, one more thing. Thank you to Really007 for putting out these wonderful podcasts so that people like you and me can have an escape, feel like normal people, and not embarrassed to be talking about something we're also so passionate in, and it's a great podcast and experience. Thank you so much, Really007.
1: Hi again, it's Patch. Quantum of Solace is one of the bottom films I've seen the least, and for a while that was because I hadn't seen it in full until a few years ago, actually. I wasn't really drawn to it like I might be by most of the others. Does that mean it's my absolute least favourite of the series? Not at all. I just haven't ranked it very highly. Still, in recent years, it seems to have gotten a re-evaluation by some fans who appreciate many of the things it's trying to do. And to be fair, after the success of Casino Royale, making a brilliant follow-up or direct sequel, as was the case here, was no easy task you've got quite a few threads left over from the last film to tie up, which, if done well, have the potential to make for an enjoyable revenge thriller a la Licence to Kill. So first and foremost, I'll talk about what I think this film does do well. In his second film in the role, Daniel Craig puts in perhaps his moodiest performance as Bond. Whilst there is humour as usual, I found on this viewing that Craig's Bond is more often than not spending a lot of time looking cool, but also coping with his inner depression and anger after the events of the last film. In some ways, it's a continuation of what Craig was doing with his performance in Casino Royale, although he was a little more cheerful there. It makes sense, I suppose. After Vesper's betrayal, Bond would naturally feel bitter, but also conflicted about his true feelings on Vesper. One of the great things is how suddenly Craig plays the more emotional moments, like when he and Mathis are on the plane of Bolivia and are talking about what keeps them awake at night. And especially the final scene in Russia, where Bond finds his quantum solace by not letting his anger towards Vespa's double agent boyfriend get him, as well as accepting that Vespa perhaps indeed truly loved him. I find that the most fulfilling point of the film, because it's totally earned. I feel I should also praise the amount of effort that Craig puts into performing many of his own stunts. The way he leaps across balconies in the foot chase in Siena comes to mind, and despite the sequence's frantic direction, it's made all the more memorable by Craig's dedication to the action. One of my favourite action set pieces in the film is the climax of that chase scene, actually. Fighting around the scaffold whilst being suspended from wires and trying to reach for a gun is a brilliant idea and the final shot of Bond staring straight into the camera as his gunshot kills Mitchell is a suitably triumphant Bondian moment. Two of the supporting characters leave a great impression too. I forgot to talk about him last time, but I love seeing René Mathis again. He's just a very charming and charismatic ally, and Giannini's performance is largely to thank for that. I prefer him in the last film, but his role here is not too bad, if just a bit short. I don't mind that he dies, I just think it should have happened a little later in the film. If he had just a bit more screen time, he could have been the main sacrificial lamb of the film instead of the secondary Bond girl Strawberry Fields, just to increase the emotional impact of his demise just a little more. His death scene as it is, being his corpse aside, is well played by both actors. Mathis' plea to Bond to forgive Vesper is heartbreaking and you can tell from the subtleties in Craig's performance that Bond is genuinely struggling with the weight of the moment, but he's doing his best not to let it show. Then of course, there's Olga Kirilenko as Camille, giving Bond someone to confide in who was also out for revenge after losing loved ones was a stroke of genius. And so Camille stands out as a compelling character. She's not your typical leading lady, in that there's basically no romantic notions between her and Bond, that one kiss at the end aside. The last scene between her and Bond discussing the emptiness they feel after achieving their respective revenge quests, is surprisingly deep for a Bond film, and possibly one of the most underrated scenes in the entire Craig era. Bond may have avenged both Vesper and Mathis, but that's hardly cured his heartache, certainly in No Time to Die. It's apparent that his depression from losing Vesper still lingers within him to some extent. As for the rest of the film, well, I think the best way to sum up my thoughts is that it works in pieces, but not as a whole. It's been said before, but the direction of acts and scenes are often very confusing and full of unnecessarily short shots. Don't get me wrong, I'm not against a fast-paced editing style. As long as enough material was shot by the director, an editor like Peter Hunt had the incredible ability to make a really fast pace in the edit work wonders. Here, I'm afraid, it makes the set pieces that may otherwise work on paper feel difficult to follow. Granted, some are better than others. The dogfight, for example, I generally got a good idea for choreography, as was the case in the short but brutal fight with Slate. Mark Forster claims these quick cuts were done to disguise the limited plot, and I honestly think it shows. What truly hampers the film for me is the script. i praised individual moments and ideas, sure. In the end, however, things feel half-baked or disjointed at points. A villain like Dominic Green and his fairly realistic scheme sound great on paper, but in realisation I find it leaves something to be desired. Funding a coup in order to gain control of Bolivia's water supply for purposes of extortion? That sounds almost like a classic Bondi inspector plan. Unfortunately, not enough is done with the idea for my liking to make the states feel ever-present. It comes across as more of an afterthought. And sadly, though Mathieu Amérique is a good actor with the right physicality to make for a creepy villain, his character unfortunately feels underdeveloped. All the right ingredients are there, but there aren't enough memorable traits to make him stand out amongst other Bond villains. Sure, during his introductory scene, we see he's found a geologist, but I kinda need a bit more than that to make him feel threatening, you know? Jesper Christensen as Mr White makes a far better impression, however, he was already a shadowy figure in Casino Royale, but here there's such an excitingly creepy vibe about him. In that interrogation scene where he warns M that his organisation has people everywhere, his line delivery is just pitch perfect. It makes him want to see more of him, but alas, he disappears from the film after the opera scene, which, like other fans, I would call my favourite scene of the film. Anyway, the deleted alternate ending might provide provided some closure to Mr White's role, but if I'm honest, I'd much prefer if he was the main villain in this film, and not Green. He'd have been perfect in the blofeld villain without needing to bring back Spectre whatsoever. Before I sign off, I will for one last time discuss a David Arnold score. Because sadly, this is so far the last one he did. Since Tomorrow Never Dies, Arnold has delivered consistently enjoyable scores that suit the post-Cold War takes on Bond, whilst bringing back the spirit of John Barry's masterful compositions. I have to admit, this is the one Arnold score I haven't listened to a whole lot. Like Quantum itself, I simply haven't been drawn to it often. Even so, this is well within the standards that Arnold set in his previous scores. Whenever Mark Forster's directions threatens to spoil an action scene entirely, you can always really count on David Arnold add a suitable intensity. The reprise of Vespas scene from Casino Royale in a few scenes heightens the emotions just as well as it did in the previous film. And boy, does Arnold really know how to capture the atmosphere of all of the locations in his tracks. Night at the Opera might be my favourite track of the score. It suits the stealthy scenes of Bond sneaking around the Opera perfectly. So overall, I did enjoy myself revisiting Quantum of Solace, It may be a bit of an oddity, but it's clear to me why it does have its fans. It's a bit of an underdog with strong themes within the script, but while incomplete and disjointed, does show off how dedicated our leading man is to the role. You'd be most likely to get enjoyment out of it as a follow-up to Casino Royale, but maybe not so much as a standalone Bob film. Still, up next is Skyfall, which is easily my favourite of the Craig films. And so I look forward to bathing in plenty of jubilant positivity with that one in the next episode. How much more
3: pipeline do we need? Ideally, 2,000 kilometres. Are there any objections? No. Not here. No No objections. Transfer the funds from our Siberian holdings. Done.
5: Where do the Americans stand?
3: Well, the CIA doesn't care about another dictator as long as they get their hand.
7: But when they find out that they've been duped...
3: I'm working on that. I'm still
7: not sure that the Tierra project is the best use of Quantum's
3: time. Perhaps we should shift our focus to the Canadian. This is the world's most precious resource. We need to control as much of it as we can. Bolivia must be top priority.
7: Can I offer an opinion?
3: I really think you people should find a better place to meet.
4: Where do you think you're going? Hi guys, this is Liam. I've just been to see Quantum of Solace at uh, the View Cinema in my hometown of Hartlepool. It's a movie that when I first saw it, maybe didn't quite get, I didn't appreciate Didn't quite get what they were looking to do with it, but watching it back tonight, it has grown on me over the last few years, but watching it again on the big screen tonight, you can appreciate it was a different thing to do. Looking for a direct sequel to a Bond movie hadn't been done before.
3: Tosca isn't for everyone.
4: I really enjoyed it on the big screen tonight. I thought the opera scene, which I've long since held as being one of the best of the whole series, seeing it again was absolutely spectacular. I think some of the performances, Camille is a great character. Uh, Mathis, shame how it ends for him, but really, really good to see it back on screen. And I actually think the Bond and Lighter scene is possibly Jeffrey Wright's best scene in the whole of his tenure as Felix. So, yep, great, great experience watching tonight. Thanks, guys.
2: Tina Sesselman and Jack Yan gave us their thoughts on the villain of Quantum of Solace, Dominic Green.
8: I think he's quite interesting as a Bond villain for two reasons that aren't really discussed, or at least I haven't heard them discussed. So, we know that Bond villains define themselves. Through their headquarters or underground lairs. And Dominic Green doesn't have a headquarter or underground lair. He does his business in hotels. And hotels in movies are places of anonymity. They're kind of non places because people come and go. And I find that very telling in regards of his overall business model he he doesn't like a classic bond villain have uh, an underground lair in a discrete location and uh, yet he still can't be found really because he he uses the anonymity of open uh, space and he he basically he hides in plain sight so i find that very interesting the other point is that villains like to define themselves through their henchmen. Dominic Green's henchman um, Elvis is quite the head-scratcher to me because he's not physically intimidating. We We see that because he trips down the stairs, and his toupee falls off, so that's kind of humiliating. And he, we we also know that he doesn't know how to use a gun, which is very weird. As a henchman, he doesn't know how to use a gun. So what are his, his competencies? Why was he hired? Was he hired because Dominic Green liked him or knew him? Was he giving a buddy a job? I don't know. This is very weird, actually. We never... We never see an incompetent henchman like that, do we? I mean, aside from maybe Mr. Wind and Mr. Kid, but they, they still know their shit. I mean, they can kill you with a Scorpio in your mouth. Elvis doesn't seem to, to know anything anything really that can be of use as a henchman. So yeah, that was just my two cents, and I may or may not have written my bachelor's thesis on Quantum of Solace, so I read some stuff about that movie. Bye for now. Oh,
9: well, greetings from the colonies. I think Dominic Green's a completely underrated villain. I think he's perhaps one of the best if not one of the top two in the Craig years and overall I, I definitely have him in the top half I think he's quite sinister in a very quiet way very much in the mold of the Don Pleasant's quietness there's just something unsettling about him uh, mainly because I think said that he used Nicolas Sarkozy President Sarkozy at the time as his inspiration because he said well Sarkozy flies around with his friends' private jets with Carla Bruni in tow, believing that he's inside a James Bond film. So I think uh, Amarik
10: was quite correct. Hey, everybody, this is Jim James Bond. Here we are. This is it. It's Quantum of Solace. I didn't see it in the theatre because it's not playing here in Denmark, so I just popped it on last night. You know, I love this film. This film is great. I uh, Last night watching it, and I've seen this film... I don't know if I've seen this the most of the Bonds but pretty much up there. And I think the reason is it's so rewatchable. I mean, first of all, it's 90 minutes, which helps. So you can squeeze it in between <laughs> an afternoon snack and dinner, right? It's really, it's really quick. So that really helps. But the pacing, oh my God, that pacing, come on, is fantastic. It just moves so quickly from A to B to C. There's no, there are no wasted scenes. There's a few problems, but I just, I just think it's a really solid film. This is a top 10 Bond film for me. It's just... And it's just mercurial. It is just like a bolt of lightning, this film. Bond is pissed, which is interesting. You like it or not, I just think that's a really good fuel for him. It really moves him forward. We're seeing more of a license-to-kill... Timothy Dalton style Bond, where he doesn't care. Like he, I love the little moments. He clearly doesn't care. I mean, you just see the the little bits. Not even not even the the, the mayhem, <laughs> but just a little bit. He's on the phone with Dench, or t- I think it's Tanner. It's Tanner and Dench. He's on so he's on the phone with Tanner and Dench on the way to the airport in Haiti. I don't remember exactly how they wrap it up. He's like you know, yes ma'am, and then just tosses the phone like in the back seat just nonchalantly like he's just had it Uh, his emotions are just clearly taking over in this movie you can see it you can feel it it's visceral more so than any of the other Daniel Craig bonds and like I said more so probably than we've seen since License to Kill there's some anger I think in The World Is Not Enough and I know I mentioned that I mentioned the world's not enough last time I just love that film another top 10 film um, but let's so you know starting kind of from the beginning let's talk about the characters so Bond I kind of touched on Bond in this film like what is who is Bond in Quantum of Solace he is he's a, a man on a mission although if you notice he still he still follows some protocol now he pisses off M, you know constantly in this movie like she's pissed at him Kind of in the way she's pissed at him for Die Another Day, really. Similar in that sense. We've got a similar M to Die Another Day, I think. I think. So he he does sort of follow the rules a bit, but for the most part, we're seeing a very renegade Bond. M, like I said, is fantastic. The villain a lot of people don't a lot of people don't like Dominic Green. I, I personally think that Matthew Americ here is is great. I think he's a really good villain, and the reason I think is because he's not intimidating because of this, his maniacal, you know, ways and his outrageous plan, he's just sort of, like, so determined, you know? And this is exemplified wonderfully in the axe fight in the hotel at the end. Like that, he's a, just a, a, a mongoose, right? He's a cornered rat with an axe. And Bond has trouble, like, containing him containing all that rage from Dominic Green that you can see under the surface. You can see under the surface from the moment we meet him where he's got the stamps and he's stamping. Very narcissistic guy. And he's just, I don't know, I think he's really good. Elvis, Anatoly Taubman. Now, he gets a lot of stick for being kind of a weak henchman, but I don't look at Elvis as being a henchman. I just sort of see him as being kind of like an assistant, right? He's like the administrative assistant to Dominic Green. I mean, you can see, he, instead of him being a physical threat, you know, he gets pushed around by, by Green's other guys, right? So he's just more of kind of like this, uh, kind of comic relief in a way, but he, he's just sort of a, like a soft assistant. Camille, I think is fantastic. And the reason I do is because she's got her own plot. She has her own plot. Now, we don't see that too often. In Bond girls I mean you do like you know octopusy yeah, but so I really like this. I like that she has her own motivations like oh really good motivations and that's great. I'll get into some of the other characters as we go along. Mathis as uh, I love Mathis. he's one of my favorite characters. He's a great ally, akin to Ali and in from Russia with love. He's like that kind of you know he just he goes on he travels with Bond. Uh, and here we see this really interesting relationship between the two of them. This sort of I- I relationship of necessity. And then their their relationship, there's a little arc to it. I think that's really cool. Those are the main ones. I mean, Mr. White, I could go on for days about Jesper Christensen. I think he is, oh my, I think he's one of the most fascinating characters in the Craig movies. Underused, so underused uh, I wish they continued with you know the quantum as as the shadowy villain. Forget Spectre. Let's make quantum you know because we all thought that right. I mean we all thought that that quantum was going to be the Spectre of the 21st century, and it was really great. And Mr. White was so cool. I mean his performance in the little interrogation scene in Italy is like wonderful. And then he his little his appearance in Spectre is like the highlight of Spectre. Like the scene that he's in. He steals the freaking movie. He's so good in that. So I wish we could have seen more of Mr. White. I think he's a fascinating villain. He's a much better I prefer he's a much better villain than Blofeld. So bah well so anyway, so 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 getting back to the beginning, fantastic car chase. I don't mind the editing. It doesn't bother me at all. I can see what's going on and I can follow the action. I think what this film does, it gets dinged a lot for the editing. Now, there's not a lot of scenes that really uh, rely too much on on quick editing. Now, this is one of them. But the thing is, it's right at the beginning. So in a way, it teaches you how to watch the film. It's saying like, this is how this film is going to be. This is a new style. And right out of the gate, there's the vocabulary. There's the editing vocabulary, all ready to go. And it's an amazing pre-title sequence probably one of the shortest, I think, if memory serves. Okay, so, on to the theme song. Now, unpopular opinion, I love it. I really do. I will go to my grave defending Another Way to Die. I think it's great. It just, it comes out of the gate. Boom, 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 you know, the drums and that, that gnarly distorted guitar. Uh, I even love the visuals. I think they perfectly wonderfully reflect the tone of the film, right? I think it prepares you. It just totally prepares you for what's to come. And then, yeah, we go into that interrogation scene, and there's the thing with Mitchell shooting the other bodyguard. I've heard heard people say, oh, well, why doesn't he shoot Bond? Well, I mean, it's quite obvious, right? The other bodyguard has a gun at the ready. So, of course, you're going to take out the threat. I mean, that's that's Bodyguard 101, I think, isn't it? I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm not in that line of work. But it seems to me you would take out the first threat. Because if he just went and shot Bond, he would immediately just get taken out, right? So one of my complaints... So the chase is cool. It is one of my complaints about the film is the cross-cutting with the the horse race or whatever they're doing out there in Siena. Although I, the re- I think maybe the reason they have that is because eventually the the, the, the chase enters that space, and so they, they're they sort of setting it up, although I think they did maybe go out of... They got a little out of control there with showing that. Now, that being said, there's some really cool stuff. There's a, a civilian that gets shot, which is really jarring. The, the woman in the crowd. And then there's the cool little uh, fight in on the scaffolding. Great, great stuff. We almost get like a... We almost get sort of a like a, a, a Casino Royale-style gun barrel in a way with that shot not i mean not really but sort of but not really now we get into they're hunting down you know who's mitchell they follow the money it leads them to haiti F- great fight sequence obviously fantastic fight sequence was it influenced by Bourne? yeah yeah probably i don't know a lot of things were at the time it's fine i mean you can't complain about films being influenced by films i mean that's just that's the history of cinema we wouldn't have cinema if it wasn't for influence right so um, it doesn't bother me it really i think it's a really great fight i just love the wow we see this just ruthlessness with bond here at the end where he you know he holds he raises the extremities to force blood to the wound i mean that's in oh, i mean that's rough right i mean that's that's insanely violent. So then, you know, we meet Camille. We meet Dominic Green. There's this interesting little exchange. Love the moment with the motorcycle. I think it's really cool. The boat chase is great. Again, people complain about the editing there. Doesn't bother me. I think I think people overestimate or overvalue uh, geography in a fight. That word comes up a lot. Like, I can't follow the geography... So the fight isn't good. I don't think you necessarily need to. I think if you follow the action, you just follow the moments. There's a lot of great movies that have, are terrible or are, are like, lousy when it comes to geography. Now, maybe Bad Boys is not everyone's favorite film. However, watch that film. The action sequences, there's no geography. You have no idea where anybody is. But it's so much fun. It doesn't matter. This is also where we're introduced to the secondary villain. Very interesting, General Madrano. I mean, fairly stock villain guy, fairly stock mustache twirler. But that's that's okay because I like it because I like Camille's backstory. So you know, then we go off to Austria. There's this great sequence in Austria with the opera. I think this is fantastic. I mean, I've heard some things about Tosca's relevance to the film, like the the the. the, the the connection between the story of Tosca and this—I I don't recall it off the top of my head—but the set, like that set with the amazing art, with the eye, it's sort of like the symbolic. It's like the eye of quantum. But at the same time, well, another thing that's really, really cool that I don't hear too much mentioned about this sequence is how this—this this is how they meet. They meet in a public place, but. They communicate via via headsets. Like they're separated so so as not to arouse suspicion. That they're hiding in plain sight. It's not like that silly old you know building with the, the long table in the middle of it, Inspector. Now you could argue, well, that's that's a bit more Bond, but Quantum does it a bit more. It's more clever. It's more spy craft. You know, it's really cool. So I think that's fine. Uh, Fine. There's wonderful moments of sound dropping out during the chase. A lot of editing there that I... Okay, my theory is that it was uh, a lot of the fast editing during that gunfight is to just hide the violence. I mean, it's a really violent gunfight. Bond is just murdering dudes. It's incredible. Um, And then we get the little homage to... Uh, the spy Love me. The where's feckish. I think he even says uh, something similar to uh, where's feckish. Something, he says something that where's is it where's green? I don't know. Not, who's who are you working for? I don't remember. But it's very similar to the tie moment in the spy who loved me, and then he drops him on the car, and then, <laughs> and then uh, 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 Judy Dench is pissed again. I love I uh, I love this sequence with with Judy Dench taking off her makeup as she's just irritated and yelling at everybody it's just such a humanizing moment like it's just so this is like the human side i mean this is a woman right i mean this is this is her bedtime regimen is you know taking off the makeup but she doesn't stop working because she's you know uh, she's a motivated person so of course she's just going to keep working through through that regimen so i think that's really cool i really like that a lot from austria we go to Bolivia. Well, first we meet up with we get Math the little Mathis scene where he is rec- able to recruit Mathis. Maybe a little bit too easily. He's able to recruit him, but he does, and it's great. And it's a beautiful scene, lovely to look at. Costume design is fantastic for both of them. And then we on the plane we see the, the alcoholic in Bond, which is I like that they address that because clearly he, he is an alcoholic, right? I mean he drinks a lot. There's even a little reference to it in Die Another Day where the you know they're scanning him and they're like there's there's liver trauma clearly it's bond something i don't remember the exact quote so we actually get to see him here just strung out right it's great well, it's not great it's very sad it's very very sad and then we get a little obviously the connection to vesper there with the theme with the drink he's drinking the vesper drink and then we get to bolivia there's hilarious stuff with the hotels i love the moment at the party you know, where with Elvis, where his, you know, his toupee gets knocked off. I think that's really funny. Uh, again, it, he's kind of a—he's the butt of a jo- every joke. Is and, and as the audience, we we mock Elvis. People who don't like this film tend to mock Elvis as being a, a lousy henchman. But that's the point. You're supposed to mock him. He's silly. He's a silly man. He's a silly man. You know. Then there's this brutal scene with with Mathis. You know, it's heart wrenching seeing him die. Yeah, he disposes of him in, in a dumpster. I think I don't think he does that. It's not Bond doing it. I think he's just trying to stage a, a, a crime. That's the way I read it, is he's just trying to... I could be wrong, but I think he's just trying to stage something, like he's trying to make it look a certain way. I don't think he really thinks of Mathis as trash. I think he has a lot of respect for Mathis. And he's come back to sort of... They've forgiven each other. There's even a line about it. And they've forgiven each other at that point and so bolivia continues you know we have the uh the sequence with uh strawberry fields which of course is a classic Bond name classic Bond girl name love it she's lovely she's the sacrificial lamb as there has to be one
0: hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot
10: And, and again M. Now maybe M is a bit too much in the field as she is though in the Craig movies so that could be one complaint but this great work here by Judy Dench she just lays into him about his about the body count that he creates he manages to escape and then you get that little nice moment with the two of them where she basically says you know go and then Tanner follow him because I trust him I trust him right Then we get the the plane situation, which is sort of cool. I think we need it. It's not one of my favorite moments. I think it's kind of neat. It seems like it's not CGI. It seems like those are actual planes, which is cool. It's not the most exciting thing, but it does get us to the MacGuffin, right? Which is the water supply. That's kind of, uh, so that's important that we get there. We go through that. We get a little bit more, a bit more exposition about Camille. Uh, And then from there, we have this wonderful moment with, I love this, in, with uh, with Felix. I like the fact that, in a way, the CIA is another villain. Like, they're the bad guys also. I mean, that's kind of interesting. So you have all these different villains. And then they, they're they trying to kill Bond. That's sort of cool. And then we see this interesting relationship between good CIA and bad CIA. And I think that's kind of important for Felix Leiter as a character. I mean, that's kind of what you imagine Felix Leiter to be. He's like kind of a little bit of an outsider in the CIA. Uh, And then we head off to this crazy, highly flammable hotel, you know, and you can have problems with where they put the fuel cells, they put them right in the driveway, where anybody, you know, doesn't set the parking brake, it's going to be trouble, right? But it's still, it's a really striking set, it's a really cool set, and it leads to this amazing sequence, a wonderful sequence with fire and, and Dominic Green just going wild, it's like a wild animal with the axe, and the moment where the axe enters his foot is just, oh, so violent it's so it's such a visceral moment like man you feel the axe in a foot like you can really feel that and so i really like this sequence it's great editing great action just a wonderful fight sequence and then of course in the other room we've got camille but we have this moment you know the the room is burning there doesn't seem to be a way out now the the thing i like about this and it's sort of i have this theory it's like this elemental theory and this is probably silly this is super silly but my theory is that he loses Vesper to water. In this film, he saves Camille from fire. And I think that's sort of cool in and of itself. And then on top of that, he's willing, he's about to take his own life here. He's willing to shoot them both, uh, shoot her and himself. But then he finds, they, you know, obviously he finds a way out because Bond survives. I'm speaking to you, no time to die. So he survives. So then we, the, the, the Vesper story gets wrapped up. Um, there's the, you know, the little line at the end, I never left. And then that's where we. That's it, that's where we end. I, I, I think it's really good. I think it's a really great film because I like I said, it's highly rewatchable. It's fantastic, it's, it just moves so quickly. Uh, even for 90 minutes, it feels shorter than 90 minutes. Uh, so that's it, that's my take. Thank you so much, Really007 Podcast, uh, for hopefully including this once again. Cheers. You can't sleep.
7: May I fix your drink, sir? What
10: are you drink?
3: I don't know. What am I drinking?
7: Three measures of Gordon's gin, one of vodka, half a measure of quinoa lilai, which is not vermouth. Shaken well until it is ice cold and serve with a large, thin slice of lemon peel.
3: Six of them. That's impressive. I think you should have one. No, it'll just keep me awake. So what's keeping you awake? I was wondering why you came with me. It takes something to admit you were wrong. You want a sleeping pill? No. Pain pill? I have pills for everything. Some make you taller. Some make you forget. I'm going to try and get some sleep.
9: Oh, now. Yeah. Hey fans! how's it going? This is the Northerner who love me. I just got a, uh, another comment here this week for Quantum of Solace which I went tonight uh, to watch at the Odeon in Manchester Sunday night, and uh, I've been looking forward to this one, uh, I, I do have a soft spot for all of Dan's films in a way, so I've been looking forward to this one, uh, so I've made some notes when I came back, uh, just to give me a bit of a guide to some of my comments that will be coming up and uh, I do love the PTS in Lake Garda just the way it starts after the end of the uh, last film obviously with a car chase, and he's got Mr. White in the back of course, and he's been chased on Lake Garda I actually went to Lake Garda a couple of years after this, I've been there twice I think over the years, the um, girl that worked for the holiday company on the way was telling us that they actually filmed this on Lake Garda, so you can, which I didn't know, I had no idea, and it was only um, maybe even a year after the film was out, so I, you can imagine my delight when I heard about that. So it's good to see some of those tunnels on the way. As soon as she said that, I started looking at some of the tunnels, and when uh, we went to Limoni and Mount in the subsequent days, we had a look at some of the places uh, on the way where they used the, uh, the car chase, uh, so that was nice. And uh, so obviously, after that, it moves to the song. I'm not that big a fan of the song, to be honest. Uh, I do like Alicia Keys I do like Jack White, but I always feel it like it sounds like a bit of a jam session. This song, it's uh, it could have been better. It's just uh, it sounds a bit unfinished, you know, in a way a bit like some bits of the film that people say. There's good bits of the film, you know, the main section as it builds up is good, but then you got that weird bit in the middle where they just sound like they're just pissing about, you know, <laughs> just singing all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's good to see mr white just going back to where the uh they dropped off mr white after the uh the song and uh, he got in there and stuff and they're talking to him he's, i do like jess he's a good actor and uh, it's good to see him again in his film and he obviously expands on what quantum's got to do with stuff from the film before and there is a little bit where he overacts i think a little bit you know when he does the uh you don't even know we exist kind of thing i just think yeah you've don't, you've just overacted a little bit there mate you know it's a little bit, I um, don't know feels a bit naff <laughs> but, um, it's not a little bit, it's a, a bit but I, I love the fact that he adds the tension of the fact that all, they've got all these moles and people on the inside, in such an early part of the film that's obviously good plot device so uh, yeah that's done well yeah the plot is good, I think uh, it's obviously not a world domination plot but we've had loads of those over the years and uh, obviously Dominic's a wealthy businessman, I always think he's a bit like um, Maximilian Largo. Uh, In uh, Never Say Never Again in a way It just makes me think of him to be honest He's got that kind of um, vibe about him And uh, yeah he's good I mean obviously Elvis I don't know what the the deal is with Elvis Uh, He's a bit like Vargas isn't he Thunderball I always think And uh, there's definitely some sort of coding going on with that guy I think as well I know uh, David has mentioned that The Bond girls yeah So onto the Bond girls uh, We've got uh, Fields I do like Gemma Artisan, She's nice and it's nice to see you in this I can't be the only uh, straight guy that thinks that She's got something on not much on under that coat you know she's kind of got that coat and on those boots and just think yeah she's just got like the sexy underwear under that coat who knows but uh, I can't be the only guy that thinks that obviously moving on to the main Bond girl in this Camille uh, olga has been in a lot of stuff over the years and uh, she's obviously you know nice looking and uh, I think she's good That obviously going for the Anya vibe you know Anya Dr. Goodhead kind of vibe you know the another agent working almost alongside Bond so that stuff always works well so why not use that again and uh, it's good in this as well she's uh, she's superb I love the bits Towards the end, when she's uh, wants to kill the uh, the guy that you know killed her family, so it's a bit like Bond. She's got a score to settle, so um, that's good. You know, I think this is one of the most stylish modern Bond films. Um, you, you can you can tell they're sort of trying hard to be trendy and kind of uh, make it zip zip by and kind of be uh, be cool and edgy and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it looks good. It looks amazing, and it was good to see it in the cinema again. I think it's the third time I've seen it. I saw it twice when it first came out, and i have just seen it obviously this time after all these years. Still, like the hotel bit at the end, it's obviously quite an offbeat ending. It's good, you know. I love the bit in the desert with Dominic when he's kind of chasing him down, and uh, it says that the, you know, his, his own people are gonna, you know, go after him and uh, and hunt him down, which they obviously do because you know Judy mentions that. I do love Lucky like, Casino. There's lots of exposition from M in this film. She does that so well, and they must have thought. the um, you know, Pavison Wade, I think, did this one as well. They must have thought that stuff worked well in Casino, where Judy kind of explains the plot, and uh, it never sounds forced and all that kind of stuff. It just gives the audience a heads up with these things, but it's never forced or over the top. You know, it just lets you uh, follow it. A bit more as you go along. I do love the Vesper closure thing at the end. Uh, obviously, I love the previous film. As I've said, it's my top Bond film now. Is Casino, and it's love to see. Uh, I love to see more stuff in this connected to that film. Uh, it's nice because it, you feel like it's an expanded album of Casino, if that makes sense. I'd say uh, score, you know, out of ten, I'd give it, uh, you know, seven out of ten, three out of five, whatever you want to, however you want to do it. And uh, I just wish you. I could, I could, I'd actually like to put it higher in my personally chosen Bond chart. You know, not a sort of Bond chart one that. I Shoes myself. We just changed a bit this year, my chart, but it's still kind of in the place it was, I think, at the start of the year, before they started having these things in the flicks in the UK. But uh, it's about 18th, something like that. So I would love to have it higher. I mean, even below it, there's stuff like Golden Gun and You Want to Live Twice and, and Diamonds, which I love those films as well. But I think it's to this film's credit that I've actually placed it above now, above those films in this chart uh, that I've got. It's a, it's a, it's a good film. It's uh, such a solid Bond film. And uh, I think with a bit more care, it could have been an absolute classic, an absolute barnstorm of this one. But yeah. Uh, it's good, and I'm looking forward to uh, to Skyfall next time as well. So, yeah, thank you for listening, and uh, check out what these guys do on this podcast. It's, uh, it's a wonderful podcast with some good people um, adding to it as well, and uh, they're all lovely guys that do this podcast, so uh, check them out and add them on your Spotify or Apple Music. Yeah, see you next time for Skyfall. Uh, oh, I just want to mention about the uh, the editing just before I go. A lot of people beat this um, with that stick about the editing, and uh, I must admit on the, uh, on the cinema screen it is so over the top it's just I don't know how any human can actually follow the scenes uh, when they're so fast and kinetic it's like Peter Hunt on speed you know Peter Hunt was good at that fast choppy thing but I think Mark Foster just yeah that's not to his um, his credit that he, he overdoes that Way too much I mean I think that guy's not seen Ever seen the David Lean film In his life I just think uh, He's obviously talented At what he does But the editing is just It is over the top It's just way too fast After about the third Major action scene It just starts to Just just get to you a little bit You know Just think God's sake Just slow it down A little bit mate Uh, I do think the sound Is fantastic on this film I know it's particularly He's having the fight With that guy In the little hotel It just sounds like You're there with him You know It's just like So blank And kind of Like you just hear the sounds And the punching And the smashing of glass And all that kind of stuff so whoever did the sound for this film the sound design well done because i think that's uh, certainly beats the editing stuff but uh yeah good film and i'm, I'm glad they made it you know it's obviously it was affected by the uh the stuff going on at the time uh, with the scripts and all that kind of thing but uh yeah it's good and uh, I'm, I'm glad they made it as i say but yeah thank you for listening and uh, see you next time bye bye
11: hello darren bithell again with my take on a film whose title is questioned among many as to what it really means i myself don't have a problem with the title As far as I'm concerned, it's a play on words. Bond is looking for peace or resolution given the circumstances he's been placed in after Casino, and there's the reference to the Quantum organisation within the film also. If only everything else within Quantum of Solace was as straightforward as that. We all know what went wrong during the pre-production and production of this film, which wasn't helped by studio-enforced deadlines. The response of Casino, both commercially and artistically, was such that it raised the bar for the next film higher. Than possibly any Bond film before. In some respects, perhaps the success of Casino created what I believe the Craig films may have suffered with afterwards. For me, there seems to be a great consciousness in the Craig films to be critically accepted, and as a result, E.ON brought in award-winning auteurs to helm the films, which may have alienated some of the fans in losing the fun and frolics of previous Bond tenures, something that Mission Impossible seemed to have filled the market for. This film is truly a difficult second album. When I heard You Know My Name before Casino's release, I knew we were on a winner. When I heard Another Way to Die before Quantum's release, I was totally deflated. It is the worst James Bond theme of the series. It just sounds like a bunch of primary school kids are singing na 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 all the way through. All the elements on paper promised a great film. The same script writers, David Arnold, Mark Forster as a director, whose films I genuinely like. A great cast, especially Matteo Almerich, who was superb in The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. The theme is a blip. Without seeing any critical response beforehand, I went in the first night confident, and as time went by, I came to the conclusion it was a blip, but not without some merits. There are lessons to be learned after Quantum. The main one being you cannot make a Bond film every two years anymore even with a fixed set of creators who know the Bond process inside out. Whether the idea to make the Daniel Craig Bond films a story arc was there from the very beginning remains to be seen, but to state that this film is a direct sequel to Casino didn't help, because you've instantly raised the bar further on a film that really suffers from a lack of ingredients to be the main feast it aspired to be. Finally, it's okay to catch up with your franchise rivals if you don't try to be like your rivals. With Casino, it brought Bond back as far as grit and peril are concerned, with action sequences and scenes that hurt, a la Jason Bourne. Quantum, the style of the film, is trying to be like Bourne, assisted by the same second unit director who helped those films. I've nothing against the Jason Bourne films. Overall, they're great, but Bond is Bond. Daniel Craig literally throws himself into this he said in the documentary being James Bond he felt as though he had to given the lack of script. Whenever there is a script to deliver he provides an even grittier performance than in Casino in which you truly believe he's bordering on the psychotic several scenes really stand out here the disposal of Mr Slate and Mathis a real Fleming for me the end scene in which he comes face to face with Vesper's other half is one of his standout moments as Bond. With the lack of script, the cast of this film is a total embarrassment of riches. Giancarlo Giannini is totally underserved given the relationship that was built, then questioned, then built again between Bond and Mathis. The death of Mathis is effective however, and is the only emotional spot in this film. Geoffrey Wright just comes and goes, carrying whatever weight is left within a very convoluted and slender plot. I had high hopes for Matthew Almerich, and what he had in this film, he performed very well. His scenes with General Medrano are great, and his final showdown with Bond in the Blazing Inferno is superb. Especially his utterance of the line, Looks like you've just lost another one. Talking of the other one, Olga Kurylenko is one of my favourite Bond women. Like Bond, she's out for revenge, with a background which leaves me totally willing and indeed afraid for her when she meets Medrano. Everyone else comes and goes, but special mention must go to Elvis, who is probably, along with Mr. Kill, one of the most useless and pointless henchmen in the series, and the green employee who aimlessly sweeps air for a living. Unlike many a Bond fan, I assume here, the lack of gun barrel doesn't really bother me during the Craig era. Even when there is a gun barrel, Craig never did it properly. You can always see the Walther before he turns and fires, unlike in Casino, but then he didn't walk in that one. The pre-title sequence is absolutely brilliant. It feels as though you're in a simulator during that chase at times. Imagine seeing that in 4DX these days. Since its release, it's even more special for me as I journeyed down that same stretch of road during a holiday around Lake Garda six years ago. Every morning I woke to a balcony view that you see at the beginning of the film with those tunnels directly opposite me and you were guaranteed that David Arnold's score would go round my head. Like The Living Daylight, we weren't aware that this was to be the swan song of David Arnold. Like Denial Another Day, his score is one of the saving graces of the film. We all hope one day he will return. As said before, the song and indeed the titles are the worst of the series for me. Then the film just goes in a breakneck speed to try and cover the holes throughout the film. More holes than in Blackburn Lancashire. At times you're thrilled and spilled, but when it ends, you're left thinking what on earth happened there? The thing that forgives Quantum is that I can see the potential within this film. There is a heart in here, and if the time was given for the script and story to develop given a different second-unit team to work on the action sequences other than the Jason Bourne team, and Mark Forster given more time and control to put his stamp on it all. Quantum of Solace would have been a great Bond film. Whatever Forster tries to put in this film, such as incorporating the Sienna horse race into the Bond-Mitchell chase, and the use of Tosca, it ends up confusing this Bond film even more. This film is fighting against itself. The main thing I do take out of this film is, despite it being a mess... I cared about it, more so than some other fully-rounded Bond films in the series. What I don't like, looking back on this, is the way this film is forgotten and the Craig-Bond arc has shown in Spectre. When Bond walks through the old Target range in the old MI6 building before meeting Blofeld, you see no reference to Quantum of Tall. No Dominic Green, no Mr. White, no Camille, etc., you can't be selective like that if all the Craig Bond films were under one umbrella from the beginning. However, the attitude that is shown amongst Craig, Wilson and Broccoli of this film in the aforementioned documentary tells a tale. Quantum of Solace shouldn't be a Bond film to mutter under your breath. Yet it was a disappointment, and not an embarrassment. So last night I attended a screening that was about a third of the attendance for Casino, yet the 23 that were there were all familiar faces. There were no trailers, only ads, before Quantum started, leaving 5 or 6 turn up to the point where Bond dismissed Mitchell. Like every film, seeing it in the cinema is really the only way to fully appreciate its achievements and its faults. And the faults of this film are editors with too many uneven scissors and a director that is totally and utterly lost, but without a script you can only sympathise. I still think the pre-titles and several sections of this film, especially the last 10 to 15 minutes, really hold up well. Everything else is like trying to eat a main course on a roller coaster how much you can be able to eat you can't really absorb. I think in a funny way, the cameo appearance of Michael G. Wilson, Sir Lord Master of All He Surveys, sums up the film itself. He sits there with his paper looking up when he needs to, with a kind of resigned, too laid-back nature, which to me is interpreted as saying, yes we know, but let's polish this turd as best we can. It's a mess, but it's not a boring mess. Four years passed after Quantum, and not only did the 50th anniversary of the franchise arrive, but also the diamond jubilee of Queen Elizabeth II. It was, of course, during the opening ceremony of the London Olympics that year that she and Bond shared a skydive. I'm sure she would have preferred a marmalade sandwich. Next week will be a rather fitting showing of Skyfall. Rest in peace.
3: This is a tale
2: of the supernatural. The Tapes, a podcast of the uncanny. Do you believe in ghosts? Join me, host, Christopher Goldie, and guests as we discuss the best in unsettling television and film. Who is this? Who is coming? Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for At The Tapes Pod, part of the Pod Dojo Network. Hello, this
12: is Noel here from Dublin in Ireland, and it's time to get out. I saw Quantum of Solace there on Saturday night. Quantum of Solace comes from that time in cinema where there was this real stripped-down approach to certainly fantasy movie making. I do look at things like Children of Men and 28 Weeks Later, and I think Quantum is a nice reflection of that, that the filmmakers tried to make a, a kind of a lean and fast movie, and instead of that, it comes across maybe a bit rushed and thin. It's almost a little bit afraid to be elaborate. I personally like the film. Uh, I, I get the criticisms. But it is very consistent in its intent. What it's trying to do. I do find the first... 20 25 minutes quite exciting i love the stuff in the tunnel and uh, that head-on collision that one of the cars has with the truck now in saying all that actually i missed the pre-title sequence but it didn't really spoil my enjoyment actually i sat down and just had this big grin on my face watching the the title track and then straight into the interrogation sequence and the chase i just i just was completely wrapped up in it i have to say that and that spectacular fall through the the glass roof—I don't know—it's it, a—it's it's a great sequence. And it, one of the things that comes out of Quantum really well is Daniel Craig and what a great physical action actor he is. And you're really there with him. Craig has this particular facial expression he adopts, particularly in the driving sequence in the pre-title. Really, thing where he's going to purses his lips together. So nonchalant and like he just doesn't give a—you know what. I always crack up when they're in Mitchell's apartment. I don't think he smoked. And also I love the, the, just the tiny little moment where when he's in the car being driven to the apartment, he just seems to just look over and, and stare at the driver just for no apparent reason. It's, and then we come to that great sequence in at the opera, one of my absolute favourite shots and compositions in a Bond movie. Bond is after leaving the stage and he, he comes back into the main building and there's... Green and his heavies coming down the stairs and they just stop, stare at each other and just it's a far away shot and you see Craig standing there and just the, the colours of the wall and the floor and him in the tuxedo just it's it, just a beautiful shot it, it always reminds me it's very Stanley Kubrick in composition then there's the airplane sequence as well I have to contain myself watching it in the cinema where he screams at the, at the controls come on! It's shades of roger moore from the end of octopussy actually and i've always liked his relationship with camille and i love the scene in the cave i like caves in cinema because they're be really atmospheric a lot of silence um, and a lovely bit of music by david arnold as well and it is his best soundtrack i always remember watching it the first time in the cinema back in 2008 and that scene where we go to the desert and the camera tilts down to the iguana or a lizard I always remember watching that and just my heart sinking and thinking my god this is the end of the picture. That's a slight problem with Quantum that it doesn't really have a middle to it. I think one of the reasons why I like Quantum is because it's quite quick and fast and doesn't slow down enough to become tedious. Unfortunately I think for Craig it's not a great vehicle for him and in, in that it, it asks of him to play this very uh, revenge fueled Bond and I'm always you know reminded of License to Kill which is Dalton's second movie and again it's a revenge film didn't allow him to nurture that more charisma or or warmth and Craig suffers that a little bit I saw Quantum of Solace definitely about six times when it came out I went to see it probably more times than any other Daniel Craig movie there you go and because I missed the pre-title I'd definitely go and see it again in about two weeks. It's on a Wednesday night over here, so. And uh, I might just go and watch the pre title and then come home, but no, I, I wouldn't. I'd be there for that for the long haul. And especially the end crawl. Love that music.
6: So it's the day after the night before, uh, when I saw Quantum of Solace at the cinema once again. Uh, mostly made up of people in their 20s, I presume. Uh, I think a smaller audience this time, but not by much. The film was okay. I did not, I didn't have a, an awful time. I actually did have a good time at certain moments, which is a shock because because my viewing last year was really not good. I think I was just like, oh, it's just not gonna be good. Um, it does have good moments and I can't deny that if I try and think about them. <laughs> Outside of what I mentioned in, in my first recording um, about the first few minutes, I think the Tosca the scene is good. You know that the the whole idea for an evil organization to have a meeting in in public in such an in such a place which is which is full of people yet to be so secret. I think it is clever. The environment. Um, is very pretty, and I think it works for a, for a spy film. I think that's a really clever idea. So I understand why people go to it. I don't think it's like the a masterpiece of cinema, like nowhere near. But I think it's I think it's an interesting idea, and I think they pulled it off quite well. The actual boat chase is is interesting. We 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 don't get too many boat chases in in modern Bond. You know, the last time we will have had one by this point would have been the world is not enough, and then before that i'm gonna presume moonraker i could be wrong for like it's like a high speed boat sequence i mean so that's always fun to watch i think what i what i enjoyed when i what when i saw the film for the first time was the different types of chase sequences so we have by car by boats by plane so i i like the variation of vehicles in this the plane sequence i just mentioned that i do enjoy that as well i probably prefer mathis in this film than i do to casino but even then, I still don't think he gets enough time to really make a massive impact. I'm not highly emotional over him dying. However, I have to say, now seeing this after No Time To Die, it makes um, it makes Bond visiting Vesper's grave in No Time To Die uh, feel a bit more like a full, full circle moment. You know, Mathis is telling bond to forgive her and forgive yourself and and all of that stuff and it feels like they came they came a long way he came a long way but um he got there in the end um so that made mathis's death scene a bit more poignant for me although it the fact that he's pointing into that boot so quickly i don't i just don't understand but um fields um gemma Arterton i think she's very good does not have enough in this film and you know she really is just there to be the um sacrificial lamb there's a lot of sacrificial lambs in her, in Daniel Craig Bond films, but M puts it rather well, you know, she was, she worked in an office, you know, it wasn't like her proper thing, and yet um, she's been caught in the crossfire, so I always think it's a shame. I also think it's a shame that we just don't let, like, you know, for, for, you're gonna do an homage to Goldfinger, but with oil. We want to see it, and that it really annoys me that you You don't get a full look at fields like that. You just, it's crossfades and and, an extreme close-up. And it's just a bit like, okay, why go to that effort? I can imagine that took a lot of time to prep and yet there's no, you can't see it. And I think that's one of my issues with the editing is that there's so many quick cuts and just transitions, and some of them work really well, like Bond and Camille walking through the deserts and the crossfades. I think that, that's that's actually really beautiful, but I think there's too much on trying to have, like, a weird aesthetic here, which, for me, doesn't work in a Bond film. Like, the quick cuts, as much as I love the the, the car chase in the beginning, I think there's better car chases in the, in the Bond films because there's so many cuts. There's, like, ten cuts in two seconds, two, three seconds. It's like, you can't really... Get a clear shot of things, and I think it it messes when with the environment for me. You, you can't. Sometimes it's like you want to see a character get from A to B, and with some of the cuts that i made, you can't really see, and it makes you not understand the environment as well. Whereas in other films, and you just take a bit more time, and you can actually just see the movement. You can see how uh, people get to where they are. So yeah, I did say about the music. I think David Arnold did do a good job. I think. There's just not a lot of stuff that stands out or is very memorable. This is probably my least favourite of his scores. I don't think it's a bad score, but I think his others are just much better. I think Casino Royale's a really good score, that here is just something's lost, although, you know, the no good about goodbye elements in the score are always really nice to hear. There's like one. I'm sure there's like one or two, you know, elements of a to style that you can kind of hear in it, which is nice as well. But it's it's not prominent at all. Olga Kurilenko, she actually does a a, a decent job. She's she's I think she's actually a really good element. I kind of wish she she did a bit more. She's kind of similar. Her character Camille is similar for, for me to Melina Havelock. I feel more on board with Camille, and I kind of believe her struggle and believe her so much wanting revenge you can really see and feel that she's gonna she's gonna get it however you know she's not purely driven by violence she will do other things to get to what she needs but i just kind of like i love that she's able to actually go through with it you know walk off and go right okay i like that she has kind of like a a backstory that feels complete she had an awful moment in her childhood she is Part of a secret service, and then goes on a revenge mission. It's very much mirroring you know bond you know it feels like a license to kill thing as well so it's it's nice it's nice that she's you know got that and there's more to her and it's not about her you know relationship with bond it's about you know her motivations and then how her and Bond can collaborate to kind of both get what they need out of it um, so i do I do like that she exits the film without being. complete romantic interest i think there's probably attraction there but it's absolutely not the right time to actually see it and you know do something about it bond himself daniel craig he's he is really good in this film i I think i don't think he does a bad performance at all he does what he can with with the script and the, the the story that he has i think he's he fits in well i i love when he does get his moments of humor I absolutely hate the stationary line and <laughs> just think it's so weird. And I'm just like, oh, God, it was... I, I did roll my eyes in the cinema, I think. But um, apparently it works on fields. So, I mean, good for, good for both of them. Good for both of them. But, yeah, no, I, I like where he ends up in the film. I like, you know, as much as I don't love this story, I like that, you know, his arc feels complete. You know, by the end of it, it feels like, okay, this is done. Dominic Green is a villain that I I'm... He a good he does a good enough job because he I don't like him. <laughs> I don't like I root against him, but there's not a lot of charm there. There's not a lot of you know, I like a villain where I can I know I don't like them, yet they there's other elements to them where I'm like, oh do you know what? Fair enough, fair play. Dominic Green's just so slimy. He's so for me, I used to think of him as like second rate lashifa Like I was just like, oh he's just he's trying to be a and he's never gonna be. And I know That's that wasn't the aim at all, but I just don't love the character and I don't find him particularly entertaining. It doesn't help that, you know, there's Mr. White there who is very intriguing and we've already we've already already had that in Casino Royale and yet we don't get too much more of him here and that's really frustrating. And um, you get those hints of Guy Haynes, which we don't get. And then we get Elvis, who's just a wasted kind of henchman. I don't know. I feel like he is there just for laughs, but... If there are any laughs, I didn't have them. <laughs> I just, I'm just a bit like, oh, well, that's a bit awkward and weird, you know. I, I feel a lot of it. Sorry for him, actually. He's he just seems to be in the complete wrong situation for him. But you know, there we go. Yeah, I think that that covers like most things I would want to say about the film anyway. It's they did it, they gave it a shot. I for me, it's just not for me. I would still watch it again anyway. Not anytime soon, probably. It's one. I'm glad it has its fans. I can see where some where some things were going how things could have been developed to make it better um but yeah it just it's it's not my favorite but um we are moving on to skyfall next time skyfall is a good film i enjoy it um went down in my rankings the last time i watched it but i think has way more positives and negatives in my eyes and yeah i'm sure a lot of people will enjoy that way more than quantum Uh, i would i would presume anyway i don't know what the general consensus will be.
2: I know it's going to be good. Woo. So I've just got home after watching Quantum of Solace on the big screen. I still love it. Sorry to sorry to have to tell some of the haters. It's a quick, breathless joyride of a chase movie, really. And it never lets up. There's very few quiet moments in it. I think that would be my main criticism of the film, though, I have to say. It's all one, all well and good having that breathless nature to it especially at the beginning but even the breathless bits could have been a bit breathier if you catch my drift so when you've got that pre-title sequence which is very well shot in my opinion the way the camera keeps moving towards it it focuses on Bond's eyes, and then you really feel like you're stuck in the middle of that of that sort of crash bang wallet really dangerous it feels like anyone could die at any second It just needed a few longer shots to sell it a little bit more and to get the geography of the situation because it's an extremely short pre title sequence and that sort of follows the rest of the film. The next set of uh, scenes for me are so good. I do love the locations in Italy. I love the stuff in Siena. I think using that amazing horse race type thing, it's almost like a metaphor, I guess. I hadn't realised that until I watched it. Uh, at the cinema tonight, that whilst they're trying to get stuff out of Mr. White, the that that's when it's sort of just gathering in the background. And I suppose the average audience member, to be fair to them, including me, would be like, what on earth are they doing juxtaposing these two things? But it just about works when Bond is chasing that chap through the sort of alle- alleys under underneath, and you realise that they are actually underneath the... Um, the arena, and it's as the chase is going on with the horses that he's doing it, so it just about works. But uh, you just feel like you're there, you feel like you're in these places. So there's just very few scenes in it that felt like a set. I mean, maybe the the sets must have been very minimal, and I always like that. That's one of the best things I think about License to Kill is that, in a way, Pinewood is great if you've got Ken Adam and, and all that, but... If you're trying to do a more realistic bond, you can't really get away with those larger-than-life sets. So what we get here is a selection of proper proper 007 locations and ones we haven't really explored before. So, yes, we've been to Italy. Yes, we've been to South America. But particularly Bolivia and and Haiti are really well explored. They do feel like you're really there. You feel like there's that griminess, that realistic, sun-kissed, Um, sort of backdrop that Bond is a part of. You you feel the the heat, almost, and I think that works really well. I do... I think I've got less of a problem with the Mathis stuff than I used to. When I first saw it, I was absolutely disgusted, and I remained that way for the next few viewings. Just watching it tonight and just focusing and relaxing, because they are really the scenes between him and Bond. They're the only time that the film gets to breathe Particularly that scene on the plane, I know, I think it was Kevbot on Twitter who highlighted that as one of his favourite scenes and it does just bring it back and I didn't realise quite that there was that underlying nature that he, a bit like the audience, has been racing and racing and racing around and he finally gets a moment to sort of breathe and that's when he starts thinking of Vesper again, that's when he starts drinking and he is still Bond, though. He is still able to function and have a, have a good chat with Mathis. It, isn't, it is something that slightly jars with me that, all, again, all the characters seem more interested in Bond's pers- you know, personal problems than their own. I, I don't really buy that as Mathis is dying he would care that much about Bond, that his dying words would be, forgive Vesper. It works very well as a scene in terms of dialogue, and I do think forgiveness is something that we can all do a lot more of. So I do like it for that reason. I just don't think it particularly works after the, the minimal interactions we've had between the two of them and the quick turnaround we've had, because remember, this is directly after Casino Royale, the quick turnaround that Bond and Mathis have had in forgiving each other, essentially. But it, it, it's, it's well explored, it's well played, and Mathis is a loss, really. I would have liked to, him to appear in more films. But of course, the big moment with uh, which Rob will chat about. I'm sure that it will be chatted about in this episode and many times, the binning Mathis and robbing him scene. So uh, maybe because I, can't, I can never quite remember how it goes, I had forgotten that Bond, even worse than that perhaps, uses Mathis as a human shield uh, to save his own skin, which is pretty awful. Maybe he thinks, well, he's already on his way out but who knows? Do you think? Uh, that's quite a question I'd like to ask our other listeners. Do you think Mathis would have survived? Or we don't know, because they deliberately tortured him and put in the boot. I don't know whether they assumed he was dead, but that's interesting to see whether he could have survived. But obviously, after those other guards shot him, he had no chance. The binning thing is a bit, mm, it just doesn't sit right with me. The way it's dealt with. I understand that in real life that would be what you do because Bond, of course, is off grid now. M's not helping him. His cards have been declined. But how did he get to Mathis's on that speedboat in the beautiful Italian sort of lakes? And uh, I don't quite understand how he. That's easy for him, but now he's prepared to rob that same guy to get some money. Anyway, it's maybe that's one of the things that you know pe- people don't like the sort of plot holes, but. I don't think the plot holes in the film are as bad as everybody says i think it just about works and there's a heck of a lot going on in a very short time we've got the subplot of camille who's a good interesting character and i don't really think they've done a character like her before so she's almost like a a main bond girl in terms of screen time in terms of proportion of screen time but a secondary bond girl in that her role is not to really sort of save the day with Bond she does sort of help him on the, along the way more and more but it's quite clear at the end that unlike Melina Bond is quite is quite happy for her to kill uh, the general you know he's like yeah go for it because that is the kind of character this, this Daniel Craig incarnation of Bond is he is very very happy to encourage that and it, you know it, it's pretty awful what he's done to her family and he's a pretty Underrated character, you know. I've, I've, I never hear anyone speaking about him in terms of you know the villains and everything, but he's he's realistic and I, I liked his performance. I did like the whole corruption side of things, and that again makes me think of License to Kill. I thought David Arnold's music shone much better at the, on the the big screen tonight because it, it's difficult for David Arnold when he's got not as many minutes to fill. He perhaps is still shying away from using the bomb theme because. At the end of Casino Royale, it gave him full license with the whole, the name's Bond, James Bond. But he can't exactly just sort of do that again because this is a sort of continuation of that, which sort of negates the ending a little bit, in my view, that Bond is back because, no, he's just continuing from where he left off. But the David Arnold music, particularly in Bolivia with the panpipes, there's a lot of Spanish guitar. It's quite different to what we've heard before. And it's very of that era of sort of Mexican-Spanish films like Babel, I think that won the Oscar for best score. It's that sort of wistful guitar, and it works quite well for those scenes. I am really, really obsessed with the scenes in Brigens in Austria. Desperate to go there. I don't know whether any any of the Bond fans have. I've not really seen anyone comment about that. And it sort of links it into that aspirational quality of dressing up in a tux and wandering around an opera, an outdoor opera, with an amazing set... And, yeah, it, it does It does have Echoes of Hannibal, which is one of my favourite ever films, not just because Giancarlo Giannini's in it, but it's just got that lovely outdoor opera feel to it where one thing's going on on the stage that's quite tragic and scary, and, of course, it's done. It's a bit arty that the, the action is being done at the same time, and all you hear is the music. It, you lose the sound effects. It's a great idea, it's just not... As well executed as it should have been so i do think that the the action when bond is shooting those guards inside the opera house it could have been done a bit slower there could have been slow motion even i would have you know i would have forgiven him for going old tamahori for a few seconds there mark forster but i i do generally think that the the sort of almost eon and barbara broccoli and michael g wilson and daniel craig they're a bit defensive of this film they're like sorry you know it was the the writer strike, sorry it was so bad. And you're like, no, it's not that bad. You be proud of it. And you don't need to make excuses for it. Of course, it was never going to live up to Casino Royale because if it's a continuation, it would only ever get, it's not like a Empire Strikes Back a few years later where everyone's like, actually, it's better than the original. It's a much different beast because you are doing a direct continuation. You're sort of trying to tie up loose ends without really daring to start new storylines. I think from watching them both at the cinema within the space of a few days, the whole Algerian love knot that has really come into the fore. I was always aware of it, and Jennifer's a massive fan of it because it is beautiful. But it's a symbol, isn't it? And and the way that's that's the final shot of it in the snow, I thought was very effective. It's not Bond. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't feel like you know keeping keeping the British end up sir or he's just attempting reentry, uh, but it's. <laughs> It's storytelling, and it works for the film it is. That is what I've come to accept from Quantum of Solace. I was excited to watch it tonight. I've really, really enjoyed it. I know I'm alone in that uh, amongst the Really Double F7 are quite a lot of the Bond community, but I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts. And, yeah, keep listening to these. Keep sending us your audio. We love it. We've not really done much focus on Quantum of Solace, but we will do, I'm sure, in the years to come. See you later, guys. So that's what she meant. I hope
7: you can trust these men. Just a moment. It's Tanner.
5: Yes. We've got the girl downstairs. She says to tell you she's sorry, but this is not her fight.
3: It isn't. Let her go.
5: She isn't our concern.
3: I'm
7: disappointed. You are? How much oil did the Americans promise you?
5: This isn't about oil.
7: Well, that's good, because there isn't any.
5: It's about trust. You said you weren't motivated by revenge.
4: I'm motivated by my duty.
5: No. I think you're so blinded by inconsolable rage that you don't care who you hurt. When you can't tell your friends from your enemies, it's time to go. You might like to tell her your theory about there being no oil. Her lungs are full of it. it was Green? No doubt, but why?
7: It's just misdirection. I mean, why
5: her bond? She was just supposed to send you home. She worked in an office, collecting reports. Look how well your charm works, James. They'll do anything for you, won't they? How many is that now? You're removed from duty and suspended, pending further investigation. You'll give whatever weapons you have to these men and leave with them now.
2: Well, this episode is clearly twice as long as the film. So make way for Quantum of Solace on the big screen, part two.
5: We have